Fast Forward Productions. The women are speaking. Welcome to another episode of So Mind-Boggling Journeys. I'm your host, Bettina Goolsby. I'm an actor and dreamer slash creative continuing to go after my dreams. So much of this journey is just so mind-boggling, hence the title, for either reasons of utter disappointment or the manifestation beyond what I could have ever imagined. Follow along as I check in with other creatives along the way and learn what so mind-boggling things they have to say and what it's like pursuing the dream while living the in-between. Today's guest is Kenya Robinson, a multidisciplinary artist from Gainesville, Florida. Kenya, who is a writer, painter, sculpture, performance artist, voiceover artist, and much more, studied at the Los Angeles Trade Technical College before going on to Yale University in New Haven, Connecticut, and Skowhegan in Madison, Maine at the School of Painting and Sculpture. Kenya has had many residencies, including, but not limited to, Deutsche Bank, MoMA, PS1, Recess, The Kitchen, Rush Arts, Pioneer Works, and the Smithsonian Museum. We met in New York City about 17 years ago when we both participated as models in a senior photography project about Black skin with Black photographer Sarah Hart, who also teaches yoga and meditation in the Hudson Valley area of New York. King and I stayed in contact, and I helped activate her art project, Hair Politic, The Pursuit of Nappiness, at the Mokata Museum in Brooklyn, about Black hair and all the tools and discourse that are synonymous with the beauty and the complexities of our hair. We also collaborated on another project, The Inflatable Mattress, where I served as one of the host homes where Kenya stayed for a period of time and reflected upon New York City real estate and housing, and also what makes a great host in someone's space. This project was featured in the New York Times. Kenya has worked on so many notable projects, such as White Men in My Pocket, about white privilege, a performance art piece that includes puppetry and karaoke called Cheeky Lachey, an animated series about a recovery hotel specializing in fantastical medical tourism called Toonskin, and her current project, which we discuss in this episode called Hood Tales. Kenya is embarking upon a week-long site visit in London in prep for the installation to go up in August. This is the first part of our chat, so sit back and meet Kenya Robinson. So I'm here with Kenya Robinson. And Kenya, so I wanted to ask you one of the first things was, uh, especially when I was sending you the link or whatever, and writing yeah. down that I was going to be interviewing you, I had Robinson in parentheses. And I was yes. like, oh, is he still doing that? It's What do you mean still? That is my professional name. Okay, and explain for the audience what that means exactly. So many years ago, I went to a performance with this artist, Lori Anderson at Brooklyn Academy of Music. She has this, she is an artist that combines music, composition, interactive computing, and performance in her art, the majority of her art practice. And there was this segment in her show where she was talking about the secret question that we're asked on the internet, you know, to confirm our identity or whatever. And it's just like, uh, what's your mother's maiden name? And I was thinking about my, like one, I wanted to differentiate myself. Um, I had just started really pursuing my practice as an artist and I wanted to identify Kenya Robinson in a visually distinctive way, because I feel like, you know, quite as it's kept, it's a very common name, actually. And I 
went to this this performance and she's talking about how your mother's na- maiden name is a secret and I may not ever become a mother so or get married but it's like your last name as a woman feels like this placeholder mm. that the 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 goal is to to have it replaced by something else when you know for the majority of your life up until that point you know you have been this person so now you're being asked to shift your identity the the name that you are called which i i thought was really um intriguing so it's like oh it's always parenthetical it's always off to the side it's always an also known as kind of situation and so i thought that that would be a visual representation of that that precarity of your own name that if enlisted it with with uh, in in combination with a, a man could mean that that's like erased but the other part and i thought i was so clever of course because i think i'm very clever i realized that my my father he his name is Lindsay, and mm-hmm. of course he doesn't like that and so he's been calling himself rob for as long as i can remember my dad would have these like Audubon Society return address labels, and it would always read L.E. Rob Ah. Robinson. So I've been seeing, I'm like, oh, I had a visual impact this whole time. And I was like, you got me again, just when I thought I had an original idea, which I finally, I've totally um, excised that from my concern. No one has any original ideas. No, there are no original ideas at all. Mm -hmm. It's just your Mm -hmm. own spin on it, right? Absolutely. Yes. Okay, so great. So when I first met you, which was like probably what, 2002, 2003? Yeah. We were, I think the first time we met is because we were working on Rashad Newsom's project. No, the first time we met was through Sarah. Sarah Hart, oh when she gosh, was doing, yes, oh when she God, was doing her, part yes, yes, it was for her senior thesis project at Parsons. Parsons. Oh my gosh. Yes, mm-hmm. it was Sarah Hart. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then, and then you and I then collaborated on one of your projects, Hair Politics. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was at the Mokata Museum. And mm-hmm. then uh, years later, you worked on a bunch of other projects. And then you actually then came to my apartment, right? Yes. Where you had a summer project um, where, oh my gosh, tell me the name of it again. The Inflatable Mattress. The Inflatable Mattress. And that was when you went around to different homes around the city and you were the guest and you um, and you wrote about what made a good guest. So you always made sure to um, help out in some way at that person's space and then also use the space in the way. And you you can speak more to this. Yeah. Uh, and we'll, we'll come back to that. And so then, um, and then you transitioned on to a White Man in My Pocket. Yeah. And then you have transitioned on to now Hood Tales. And in between all of this, there's been a lot in between this. And I know I'm missing some of the projects. Um, But so one of the things I want to talk to you about is your project now, Hood Tales. And I want to talk about how that was originated. So when I first moved to New York, you know, there were a lot of things, you know, one of the things that never ceases to amaze me is how regional the United States is, how local the different places like 
accents are different, stores are different, name, street names are different, the way the cities are laid out are is different. In New York City, it's an amalgamation of basically all of that. But one of the things that I love and continue to just adore about that space are the street vendors. Mm-hmm. Like the kinds of things that you can get off of somebody's table. You can get sunglasses, you can get a scarf, you can get oils, you can get gloves, you can get all these things that like a tourist would need that's visiting. Um, but they also have things that are very much it feels very much like it is meant for the locals. One of the things that um, is for the locals were these urban fiction books. Because I always lived in, like, I mean, it's not that much like that anymore. Like, but I've always lived in black spaces in New York. You know, I've always had to transfer in black spaces, whether it's, you know, Atlantic Center or um, Fulton Square mall utica avenue utica avenue and so you would find these vendors there and they would be selling these urban fiction books and you know you got to think this is in the early 2000s and when i kind of started this collection and there weren't a lot of there wasn't a lot of visibility with blackness you know the the 90s the whole thing with the 90s like the mid nine early nineties to mid nineties, like maybe ninety-eight, that had gone away. I'm talking about like just the visibility, like in general. Like like think about it in the nineties, you had you had all those like classic black movies, whether it was Waiting to Exhale or, you know, um Love and Basketball or, you know, all that with, with all the soundtracks. So you had this visual representation of blackness that was on our film and television screens Mm -hmm. and you still had jet and ebony and essence heart and soul heart and soul you had um i think even you still had ysb in the early 90s you had vibe so you had all you had um king magazine you had all of these we had honey for a bit yep and we had honey we we had a lot of you know, that was going on, but it started to peter out in the early 2000s. And the the only spaces that I was finding that consistently were in these urban fiction books because they would have, you know, really extensive covers. Like, you know, it, it was like the Master P era of graphic design where it was like very Baroque. It had like everything. It had a rose, a wine glass, dice, cars, girls scantily clad, you know, a blunt. Like it would just be this like eruption of of symbology. And I started to collect them, one, because I liked the way they looked, but I would also read them too. And I noticed very quickly that all kinds of people would be reading these books like like all kinds of black people I should say they could be men they could be women they could be older they could be younger and I said there's something about what is being communicated that feels universal to the community that I'm a part of Mm -hmm. so if I'm an artist and 
you know, that is an artist's job is to take their own experiences and observations and recognize that universal through line and use it as material in their art. And I'm like, this is, this is a great material object that I can use to explore that further. So I was just collecting them. And then I wanted, when I went to grad school, I got this idea because I had a dream that I was seeing a scene in one of the books that I had read called Cartier Cartel. It's got like three iterations of it. I was hearing this, seeing this scene and the actors or the characters were speaking in German. And I was like, huh. And at the, around the set, that same time, I was working in the library on campus and I was noticing all of these art books, these monographs that would detail a particular artist. The first, the introduction, they'd have like some text that would talk about the background of the artist and, you know, go into, you know, their inspirations and whatnot. It would always be in English and in either German or and sometimes French. And so I was like, oh, you know, I wish that some of these books, these hood tales, as I started calling them, would get the same treatment as an academic text, because I was learning a lot from them. I was learning about a very particular moment in time. The authors were describing interpersonal relationships, of course. They were describing various identities. They were speaking to American capitalism. And they were, I think, highlighting the symbologies of our time. So I, you know, I was wanting to do like an annotated, translated and annotated text of that, dabbled in that with books that were already established. But I got a chance to, I got asked to be a part of a group show. And this was around the time that I was really thinking about this. You know, I knew I wanted to do something with this material other than just read it. I liked that when some of my fancy black friends would come over, they'd be like, you read this? Like, I I, I liked that, you know, I consider myself a mischief maker. And so like when I have an opportunity to kind of throw a wrench in the plans of who I should be as an artist, as a public intellectual, I enjoy that. You so enjoy, like sparking a conversation. Totally. Mm-hmm. Totally. Cause I'm like, I, I haven't written a novel and anybody who manages, who is able to do it, that's a feat. Mm-hmm. And so whether it's self-published or not, I I think that like instead of discounting it, here is an opportunity to to really delve into it and recognize that like what if it's a style? You know, like we have all these genres. We have southern gothic, we have romance, we have mystery, we have suspense thriller, you know, humor. Mm-hmm. We have all these kinds of styles that have been developed over the years that when they first started, you know, evolving, it was so out beyond the pale that like it was very likely that it was scoffed. It was, it was mocked, Mm -hmm. but I'm like, 
fast forward 50, 60 years, and there and there's probably already happening, there's going to be scholarship on these books oh, because yeah. they're telling us something important. Absolutely. And marking time, like you were saying earlier. So so let's talk about it. So your incarnation of Hood Tales isn't a novel. It's actually, so what I saw, and I saw this um, down at Chelsea that time when you unveiled like book covers. It was yeah. various book covers of the yeah. various Hood Tale titles that you had created. Um, okay, so talk so talk about that, and then also talk about how else it's manifesting. Like, is it manifesting in voiceovers? In because if you're talking about you know dialect and voice, I would love. I mean, okay, so the ultimate goal was because I am always eavesdropping. I'm a nosy ass bitch. Like I am just, I'm going to be, if I'm in a public place, I eat dinner by myself a lot. I have traveled public transportation. I purposefully listen to other people's conversations, even when I'm a part of it, like the experience. So I jot down a lot of, a lot of stuff and I came up with a bunch of titles that I just liked that felt kind of absurd. And so f- the titles come first. I have like a running list of titles. I mean, they it's kind of crazy. And then I let it percolate. And then I will write the back, like the back flap text, mm-hmm. you know, what the book is about. And my goal was to make the book look so realistic that you just assume that it's real. And that would be the feedback that I would get from a lot of people who were seeing it. They just thought it was a a real book. And I don't have the time or even necessarily the desire. I mean, because a, a lot of what I am working towards, I realize is that I would love to make television and film. Like I would want to be the executive producer and creator of television programming and films because I'm an artist through and through. That's not changing one iota. I was born an artist. It took me, you know, 30 something years to realize that I was an artist. And it was through a lot of support from my community. But I don't even go to galleries and museums that much. But Everybody's watching Netflix. Everybody's watching Hulu. Everybody's watching Amazon Prime. Everybody is consuming these television shows, for example, and movies. And it's getting a a conversation going that I've been wanting to pursue as an artist my whole career. Mm. And because it's so accessible, so many people can weigh in. Because when you, whenever I tell somebody that I'm an artist, they're like, do you paint or draw? Like they have a very rigid idea of what that means. Mm-hmm. And because of that rigid idea, oftentimes they it's suggested that they can't make commentary or comment on that. And I'm like, oh, that's what something I want to avoid. Mm-hmm. I, if you, you know, People don't have to know how to play an instrument to have an opinion or be able to communicate or have a conversation about music that Mm -hmm. they like or music even that they don't like. So I think that Hood Tales is my 
unconventional practice of getting to that space. Mm -hmm. And so I create the world. I create some of the, you know, main characters, the scenario, I set the scene. And the ultimate goal is to hire a ghostwriter to actually Mm -hmm. write the books because I have so many, like right now, I think I have like 16 titles that are on Amazon and I have even more that I've written that I'm keeping and added like a running listing of, you know, that I've even taken, like I have a a hotel called Ratchet by Kizmekia Corbett. So I, I end up like including like, like Kizmekia is like a person that was, they were kind of trotting out during the early stages of the coronavirus vaccine development. Who knows what part she played exactly, but because she was an optics of a black woman, you know, and I'm like, "Mm, that'll be interesting to kind of like, you know, put that Easter egg into these kinds of um, books. So, you know, I have been having not a hard time, but it's hard to get funding for like, I think truly innovative projects, like Mm -hmm. the ones that's like kind of doing what everybody else is doing it's easier to get support for that. Right. But if you're doing something that is like kind of off the rails a bit, it's very hard to secure funding. And I was like, I need to, at this point in my career, find ever more innovative ways of, of getting support. And that leads us to this project that you are embarking upon now. Yeah. Um, and you're actually going to be leaving in two days for London for it. So tell us about this project, how you're going to take Hood Tales to the next, the next stage. You know, one of the things that has intrigued me about urban fiction in general is how much of it is self-published. Like that is like a, a self-determining, I'm gonna, just going to do it. I'm not going to wait for somebody to vet, you know, Um, which makes sense, especially in terms of the publishing world, because it's like, it's not really designed for Black people to have the kind of stake culturally that that they have in other cultural areas. I knew that I, I was interested in that, but like, you know, before drop shipping and stuff, you'd have to buy like 144 copies of something just to get it self-published but now with evil amazon prime you can make a title and get it like they do it on demand so Mm -hmm. it only prints when somebody orders it so you don't have to worry about the inventory you don't have to worry about like getting the money to buy the books to publish like this bulk and so the technology has adjusted so much that I'm using Amazon as like a way to show this work. So I make these books. So taking it from the cover, which is what happened maybe in 2014, I feel like with that group show at Rush Arts, um, I was able to even push that even further in terms of like, it looks like I have, it's so cute. I have one bad review on Amazon because somebody was like, this is not a book. Like they bought it, thinking, <laughs> but it's affirmations, right? It's, right. It's like they wanted like to read, they wanted to read the book, and I was like, "That is, that's why I know that if I could get 
a ghostwriter that it would be because you know so many of so much of urban fiction is extremely invested in misogynoir like it's like it's a lot of bad talk it's kind of reflective of the music industry where the references to black women are disparaging like we're bitches we're hoes we ain't shit like and it's just like wow like i i, I still maybe maybe it's always been like that but i feel like actually there's an uptick in that yeah no absolutely it, it get they push the border they push the edge of that constantly i feel like year after year as we delve more into the culture it gets worse and worse i feel you know but let me ask you so th- but this does say affirmations for ratchet times so there's something to be read right if there's yes so i have i do have i kind of use the conceit of urban fiction this like notice this notion of ratchetry and i just seek to reframe it because i think that like respectability politics has made ratchet like this really flat word when it's so much more complex because i'm ratchet you know i'm, I'm but that that's but that's not the only ratchet. thing we're all and that's the ratchetness and there's complexity there's like it's like the seasoning right you can over salt your food yes but that don't mean that salt is bad right you know and so salt is good salt is necessary right it's like it's necessary the ratchet is necessary sometimes and i think that like you know the fact that like i don't know i i think i saw a meme with gucci mane I don't think it is even real, but like he was at some, maybe it was sentencing or an arraignment or something with the, the criminal justice, like the, the judicial system and his response to some question that the judge asked him was like, bitch, I might be. And I was like, I just cracked me up. (laughs) And I, and I was like, let's think about bitch. I might be as like an idea. Yes. You know, and and how in this age of like metaphysics and like, you know, because everybody's getting in these candles and oils and, you know, saging. Spirituality. Spirituality and chakras and stuff like that. And it's like, well, bitch, I might be. Mm -hmm. I might be a god. I might be a goddess. Yes. I might be a high frequency being. I might be an energy being. But I I liked using that, like I liked using the things that we say in the culture where, whether it's don't stop, get it, get it, you know, uh, bitch, I might be, you know, look at God, Mm -hmm. um, you know, like, like those things and really understand them, imagine them as spiritualized concepts. So I, I made these, these affirmations because we do live in ratchet times. And we, I think there's always needs to be an affirmation of blackness that is not anti-black, that like whatever we create has a real, like it has a multi-level, multi-dimensional, multi-layered sense of import that like we should always be acknowledging. Mm -hmm. So the books themselves, most of the books themselves, the fiction titles... I should 
clarify on Amazon are actually journals. It's like a, again, a visual suggestion that your musings are just as important as something that like gets published. Right. Even if it never gets published, Mm -hmm. that, that, that's still important. Like, you know, again, just give it time. Like how many, how many times have there, or how many collections at prestigious libraries are just the papers of some regular schmegular person and it was their diary, but it's a hundred years in the future. And we're able to learn so much about that time period through this regular person's observations and experiences just moving through life. And so I, all of those kinds of things I wanted to imply through these, these, I call them book objects, Mm -hmm. but these books are also sculptural material. Mm -hmm. They, you know, books are a, a specific kind of technology, you know, like not all technology is digital. Um, So I am making an installation where I'm displaying the books where the pages, the edges of the pages are face outwardly and inside is a mirror. And on, for this body of work, I have reversed the lettering on the spine. So when you look in the mirror, you can read the title. And so if you want to like, learn more about it there's like a space for you there's you are encouraged as the viewer to take the book out and you know read the back look you know there's a a message that i put in there that kind of talks about like this is a book this is not a book yes it's a book but it's not a book book Mm -hmm. it's something else and that's what i want to introduce you to the every part of that of these covers are meant to communicate something so like you know how like um there's superlatives on the cover like you know kirkus reviews four stars or whatever and it'll be like a little quote sometimes i put you know excerpts from music lyrics that relate to the story these are the types of materials that i would give a ghostwriter as well like listen to this album this is going to be inspirational for the story so this is what I really appreciate about you, Kenya, because your art is always like you were saying earlier. It's not something that you can just like put into a box, right? Because you're my friend. I think of you as like a are you considered a multidisciplinarian uh, yeah. artist? Because you are a painter. You are a well. Sculptor. No, I'm not. I'm not a really real painter, but you are you're a maker. Yeah, you're a sculptor, you're a maker of things, you're a writer, you're a performer. I mean, you've done so many different forms of art with all your different projects. And even this, it's like, it's a book, but it's also going to be this installation piece that people can be interactive with. I right. I definitely hear a performance element to this, you know, or yes. voiceovers. Yes, yes. Uh, oh my God, I would love to, I mean, I want to host... I'm actually preparing to host a book club, a quote unquote book club with one of the titles. Cause like sometimes you read the book, sometimes you don't, you just be there for the wine and the nibbles. So, so I was like, Oh, that would be so cool to like invite, you know, some ladies to a space for a quote unquote book club. And we talk about this title that, that is recorded 
and then transcribed another piece of material for the ghostwriter, the eventual ghostwriter to be able to utilize. Cause who knows what might come up, right? You know, like I have, I have one of my characters, I have two characters named Belle and Nisi and they are cosmetologists and they, they fight child. They are like super sleuths. (laughs) And so, but I'm not a cosmetologist, but what if I were to invite somebody who do hair, to the right. book club, she's going to have another perspective, a Absolutely. lived perspective that's going to add some detail to it that I think is going to be really interesting to explore. And I love the collaborative nature of that, right? It's kind of like sourcing different people in yes. different worlds. Um, and it's like an in-person, true life character study. I love that. Y- yes, yes. So, you know, once I get the the books written, I very much want to do the production of the reading of it, you know, Um, because that, again, that's like an interesting step to what I want to achieve as a showrunner. Right. Absolutely. Okay. So tell us more about London. So people are going to be able to interact with, um, with the books. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, I've all, I, I've already done a, a version of this for a, a college, a small liberal arts college in Minnesota called St. Olaf. Yes, St. Olaf is apparently a real place in Minnesota. Shout out to Rose Nyland, uh, RIP Betty White. <laughs> um, so I, I was able to like develop a a pro not a prototype because we actually ended up making it and it was in a group show there as well so I have the plans for it um which I already sent to um the folks over in London I actually Minnesota kind of is this strange nexus point for this this new development of the project because you know ever since the the start of the pandemic but even a little bit before then you know, we have to learn how to be artists in the 21st century, you know, like in the 20th century, it was reasonable that you could get an MFA and probably get a job teaching somewhere where you would have the potential of tenure, that you weren't going to be working as an adjunct, that it wasn't going to be quite so precarious, that because of that stability in your work life, your, you know, day job life, I guess you could say, you know, you could have access either to a studio that you pay for or maybe as a part of your compensation package in the College of the Arts, you could have a studio. That notion of space is just not really a part of how artists work now. Like unless you're independently wealthy or, you know, popped off and you, you got a really robust market for your work, it's very hard to maintain that. I mean, Bettina, you know, I, I was storing the, the the piece that's in the Smithsonian today was underneath your bed for like a year. <laughs> you know, like, like that's how, again, how Ratchet Tree exists everywhere. Like, like literally just under your bed. Like it's, it took, it takes different kinds of networks to be able to like have an 
artistic practice because I've lost like maybe two or three storage units because oh I couldn't. Oh my gosh, you in the storage units. I mean, people are out there with Kenya Robinson originals <laughs> from the storage units. I, oh, you know, wow. it's like, it's like, you know, maybe some of somebody kept them. I don't know. Cause I hope then so. Because then 50 years later on Antiques Roadshow, they're going to be like, oh, this is like worth da 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 da, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I believe that. I have some, I still have some of your stuff here in this closet. I mean, (laughs) it's crazy. It's like your stuff is all, is like all spread out. And it's like, it's so funny because it's like, I don't know, you know, I don't want this to sound morbid, Lord Jesus. But sometimes I feel like it's because you're heat, you're, you know what I mean? It's like. I, that's awful to say that, but a lot of times people don't really respect a lot of artists until it's like after the fact, right? Yeah, no, I, I totally, you know, I've, I've, I've accepted that. Like, I'm like, you know, I've made peace with it. I should say I've made peace with it. I know that that's not a reflection of my quality of work or my passion, not. you know, and it, but it takes it takes it takes some growing and maturity to get there, you know, yeah. to, and to continue to do what you're doing. So, and just the fact that you've been doing it for so many years, and then yeah. you have bright spots that pop up, like this London trip is a bright spot, right? Yeah, absolutely. But like you know, through that Minnesota experience, I was like, I am not gonna be storing a bunch of stuff. Like I just can't do it. Like I can't. You know, like that's what, like that was the impulse of me actually making the the books as books because I could have this thing that at any moment could transform from a digital, non-corporal piece of information to an object. And I wouldn't have to be, like somebody else could p- pull that trigger. And so that is like why I... Like the art now is the plans for the museum go round where the books fit into. You know, so often you are, as an artist, you're expected to make this stuff, mm-hmm. show it, and then when it doesn't sell or whatever, now you got to figure out where you're gonna what you're gonna do with it, or you're gonna have to destroy it. Mm. That has happened to me on a number of occasions. Wow. Now that's something you don't really even think about. So, so you were putting it, okay, so that's why you had the storage units because that was all your work from the projects. Yeah. Is there a way that you can, um, can you offer some of that work to museums or to, I mean, I no. it's like, you know, museums are so like, you know, they're elitist. So it's kind of like very much like you, Mm-hmm. they don't, they're like, like it's, 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 it's a bad, poor taste, you know, um, unless you're asked or you have a relationship where somebody, it comes up in conversation or whatever. I've definitely, I'm starting to have more of this now where my friends want to like be the stewards of it. So like, uh, I had I I've been traveling a lot lately and a friend of mine came into the house to like check out on some things and drop some stuff off blah 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 and saw this one piece that I did that was at they're not even they're defunct now but uh they were established for many years a, a gallery called Metro Pictures 
And I mean, the work has been featured on New York One. It was like impaired with Cindy Sherman, but my dealer at the time wasn't able to 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 actually get it sold. Mm. So it came back to me. Fortunately, it's light and it's small. <laughs> um, and I worked so hard on it. It's like a it's like I call it a monkey mouse. It's a like it's like minstrelsy up as drawn out of the Mickey Mouse character, which we can have a whole other conversation about that. But, you know, my friend was like, oh, I really like that. Um, And I was like, you know what, if you get a custom display case for it, I'll let you have it. So a way to make sure that the work is like archived, you know, like, okay, you like that print? Well, if you get it framed, you can have it. Mm-hmm. You know, like, so just trying to find ways to do it like that mm-hmm. has been. I love it. It's like you're still, you still want to curate what the final product looks like in that person's space. Yeah. I mean, I, I and it's, it's like part of, partly it's that, but other part is just so that it's protected. So that it's protected. Yeah. You know, like, I, I think that like so much of so many things get damaged like there's a way to to catalog that stuff so i'm just like i you know it's a it's a means of like also like explaining to my friends who actually have some disposable income and could probably start supporting some emerging artists with their dollars mm-hmm. well how do you actually take care of work how do you, you know, how do you make sure it gets photographed properly? Mm-hmm. How do you make sure that like, okay, there's going to be like some kind of paperwork, some kind of documentation so that if somebody knows, like likes that work, I know and, and who is a museum and wants to show it or a gallery that wants to show it or a curator that wants to show it. How do I get access to that? Well, it needs to be taken care of. It needs to um, be in good condition. It needs, I need to know the location. It, I need a good photograph. And so that's what any collector needs to be mindful of. And so a lot of Black people aren't, they're not exposed to how to be a good steward of, of artwork. Even though many of us are in positions where in addition to buying the like Louis Vuitton or Gucci bag, for the same amount, you can get something that will appreciate in value. Exactly. And support an emerging burgeoning artist. Yeah. Um, and be able to also introduce that artist to your friends and your network. And at the end of the day, it's like everyone lifts from that. You know? Yes, 100%. How great does that feel to have inspiring artwork in your space? Yeah, yeah. So, okay, so you are off to London in two days. And so let us all know what's going to happen after that. And then let every let all the listeners know how they can follow and keep up with you and what's going on. So, um, you know, this this visit is a site visit. So it's an opportunity for um, all the artists involved there. I think there are four or five of us total. There's a and 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 the curator is also approaching this very like as a multidisciplinary exploration so there's there's a set of twins 
who are jewelry designers primarily, but they're also expanding their creativity into um, ready to wear. They've done like a lot, a lot of the pieces that you saw on Beyonce for Black is King, they designed and made those. There is a painter who um, showcases Black queer femmes and those relationships in her work. There is a um, spoken word artist who is also going to be contributing. Myself, I think that's it. I think it's five of us. And so we're all coming at it from different perspective, which is why I think that she wanted us to all be in the same physical space, in the physical space where we're going to be presenting. So that elicited the, the London trip. And then the opening of the actual ex- exhibition is going to be August 16th, I believe. And there's going to be programming associated with, like, I think it's going to be up a month, but you know, the idea is that this space is meant to be activated, that it's not just about coming and looking at something being like a passive observer, which we are all due to these little phone objects very versed in. But like, okay, how do you take that observation, that looking one step further? And so, you know, we're having actually a meeting tomorrow to discuss the itinerary. So I, I get this feeling that that is what the the curator is intending to do, which is like make sure that the space is activated, that it's not just like, oh, I'm looking at some stuff. So who knows how that's going to evolve. But you can follow me on Instagram at Kenya9. It's just K-E-N-Y-A and the number nine. And then that's the same for, I just got on the TikTok. Ciao. Are you dancing on the TikTok? What are you doing on the TikTok? Well, I'm trying to, I'm just trying, honestly, I'm trying different things. The only reason why, I shouldn't say the only reason, but the primary reason why I'm on TikTok is because I'm working with a project out of San Diego. Oh, speaking of TikTok. Are you headed to a cookout after this? I don't know what I'm doing. I'm like, I bitch, I might be. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I, I got it. Maybe I need to be someplace so I can do some good eavesdropping and come up with some more some more titles. But yes. um, yeah, I, I you know, I am really active on on Instagram and, you know, I'm probably going to start um, finding ways to like incorporate like like I, I need to set up my, you know, re-up, uh, update my link tree so that once you go to, to Instagram, you can pretty much find out everything that I'm doing from my Instagram, from my tarot readings, to my etymological tarot readings, to the book clubs, to any kind of exhibitions that I'm going to be a part of, writing, all the things that I do, I, I, I try to put it up on there, but then, but even more reliably is my um, website, which is just KenyaRobinson.com. Awesome. So you'll have to come back and because we'll, I want to hear definitely more about the London show and how the yeah. site visit went and then how the execution of it all is coming together. So thank you so much for joining us today, Kenya. Thank you so much for having me. I, I love, I love that there are these spaces for the conversation to happen because all these things, like whether it's like, okay, how do you be an artist and avoid storage? 
that's something that a lot of people don't consider and they should because it's a really practical concern absolutely um and i want to talk to you about more things like that because i was like that's something that i would have never thought of um Mm -hmm. that seems like a very important thing to consider (laughs) for sure yeah um, yeah. So I look forward to having you back. Can you have a very safe travel there and back? Um, have a great time. And uh, we will talk to you soon. Thank you so much. Catch me on the ground because, you know, I'm going to be putting a lot. I ain't never been there before. So I'm a, I, in in a black American vernacular. I ain't going to know how to act. <laughs> you about to show out. <laughs> I'm about to show out. <laughs> Thank you again, Bettina. Thank you for listening. This has been a So Mind Boggling production. Follow along at So Mind Boggling on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook.